0: Hello, it's your host, Kat Walsh, and you're listening to another episode of Trip On This. This podcast is for mature audiences and is not suitable for young children. Trip On This is intended for entertainment purposes only, and we do not condone the use of illegal substances. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Trip On This. This next episode was such a treat for me to record. I'm with my guest Shelby Hartman she's the CEO and co-founder of the psychedelic media company and magazine double Blind. before Shelby had started double blind a couple years ago she actually worked in broadcast news for CBS covering everything from presidential elections to natural disasters to protests and all sorts of other breaking news. But her passion actually lied in investigative journalism, and that's when she went back, got her master's from Columbia University in long-form journalism, and came back and started working as a columnist for the LA Weekly. She's also an editor for Herb, covering everything from just the cannabis boom to the rise in popularity around ayahuasca to covering stories about PTSD relating to veterans. So Shelby is just an absolute wealth of information and it really comes through on this episode. We talk from everything from her own personal experiences and why psychedelics were so important to her to obviously start a magazine and media company like Double Blind. We get into the case for macrodosing versus microdosing, and we even get into some hypotheticals, you know, just some thought experiments around, you know, what it would be like if psychedelics in this country were widespread, for instance, and what that would mean for us in a societal level. What was cool about it is she actually reflected back to me that that question and a few others wasn't something that she was used to being asked at these psychedelic conferences and whatnot. There's a lot of focus on FDA approvals and, you know, the science and the research that's coming out, which is beautiful. But it was great to hear that. This is something new for us to explore. And of course, I'm just picking questions about what really lights me up. And for me, you know, just this idea around consciousness and paradigm shifting and um really just yeah looking within and and what psychedelics have done for me on a personal level and thinking on what that could look like on a large level is where my mind goes and i appreciate that she was willing to go there with me she has a great balance between her what she calls like her on one hat her activist hat and on the other side her journalistic hat which is show me the data show me the science so it's a beautiful marrying of the two which is why this conversation was so much fun. A Couple quick things before the episode begins. Of course, if you're not following me on socials, please do so. I'll be sure to put the information in the copy of this episode, uh, as well as if you're liking it, please share it, subscribe, rate it, like it, send it out to the world. It is all super help me, helpful <laughs> to help me grow this podcast and help share this message with the world. And is there anything else for you guys? I think that's it. Without further ado, please enjoy my next episode with my guest, Shelby Hartman. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Trip on This. I am very excited about my guest today. I'm with Shelby Hartman. She is the co-founder and editor-in-chief of the psychedelic media company and magazine Double Blind. What particularly struck me about Double Blind when they first came on my radar was this beautiful balance that they struck between uh, what I'd call psychedelic culture and art while also being accessible for those that have never don't know much about psychedelics and those that that do know a lot about it and want to stay informed about what's going on. So today is a real treat for me. Shelby, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. I just want to reflect to you before we begin that how much I appreciate the work that you guys are doing there and it's it's not just because of just the full gamut of psychedelic it's just psychedelics in general from the legislation to the science to the spirituality but for showing up for I would say just everyday people that are interested in exploring their own consciousness and your willingness to hug that edge and to be clear-eyed about the fact that people are going to you know, make decisions for their life and not with always with an air of responsibility, but not having to, you know, creating a resource ultimately for people to set them up for success. And I think the work you're doing is important. So I just, before we began, I just want to reflect that back to you. All right. So why don't we just start there? Let's start at the genesis of double blind. When did it begin? What kind of inspired you? Kick us back a little bit.
1: Double Blind began on my meditation pillow in November of 2018. I was in my apartment in New Orleans and the idea just came to me out of nowhere. Amazing. And so I got off of my meditation pillow and I called Madison, my Mm -hmm. now co founder, and said, Do you want to do this with me? And she said, Yeah. And at the time we just had a vision of starting a beautiful print magazine on psychedelics. Both of us went to Columbia Journalism School and specialized in long form narrative magazine style writing. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a vision of starting a fully fledged media company with, you know, videos and social media platforms and events and everything mm-hmm. else, but it became pretty clear as soon as we put our first magazine into the world that this was something that a lot of people were really wanting from us and wanting more of. Yeah. And so it just grew organically.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I really just, again, like I was saying, like the wide landscape that you cover, I can only imagine that it's just going to explode as this psychedelic Renaissance continues. I mean, just in 2020, the last half of 2020, not even like the beginning half, like last half of 2020 psychedelics just became, uh, I feel like maybe I'm in a bubble a little bit, but I can only imagine where it's going to continue to grow for you guys particularly. So, all right. I mean, this goes without being said, but how, before we just get into information about psychedelics, let's talk about your psychedelic uh, experiences. How has psychedelics changed your life?
1: Well, I tripped for the first time when I was 18 and Mm -hmm. I was a freshman in college and it's just kind of classic college story. My friends had some shrooms. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what they were or what I was getting myself into. And then very quickly realized that psychedelics were not recreational for me. And that's not to say that they shouldn't be recreational for other people. Madison and I are all, all about joy and revelry. And we don't like to create a hierarchy where, you know, medical application of psychedelics is considered better than any other type of, of application. So I just want to put that disclaimer in there, but for me, it was never recreational. For me, it very clearly was a tool to go inward. And Mm -hmm. I continue to trip twice a year, at least for Mm -hmm. my entire life since I was 18. And so when people ask me how have psychedelics changed your life or informed your, your life, it's a challenging question because... They've been so inextricably tied with my development as a human being throughout my late teens and all throughout my twenties. And now I'm 30 that I just can't even imagine who I would be if I hadn't been tripping all along the way. Yeah. So, I mean, of course I can point to particular journeys I've had and revelations that I've had on those journeys about my values, my relationships to other people, my relationship to the planet. But just generally speaking, it's hard to say exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. I would love, can you, if you, if you have an example of just like a particularly profound trip where you're just like, wow, game changer. Can you take us through a little bit about what that was about?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say that for me, the most powerful psychedelic experience that I had was the first time that I did ayahuasca when I was 25. Mm-hmm. And again, I wish that I could could tell folks, well, I went in and I was in this toxic relationship or I had this toxic job and then I came out the other end and voila, I realized, you know, time time to make this significant change in my life. But I think that this is an important story because it exemplifies that while we hear a lot of narratives like that, that it's not always so cut and dry. So for me, I can tell you that I went into this ayahuasca experience having no conception of how profound psychedelics could be. I had already had many profound psychedelic experiences, but for mm-hmm. me, when I did ayahuasca, I was taken into dimensions and other realms that I never ever could have conceived of.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then, if you ask me what happened during that journey, I could tell you that I have some memories of having geometrical visions. And at one point, I was lying under the stars, and I remember asking where the beauty was because i was in so much pain and mm-hmm. i remember looking up at the stars and saying like where is the beauty show me the beauty where is the light i want to see the light and um and then coming out that ex- of that experience and feeling really shaken up and unsettled mm-hmm. for about a month mm-hmm. i was very uncomfortable in my own body mm-hmm. and i basically put everything in my life aside to just meditate and journal for like mm. a month and then all of a sudden the feeling started to lift yeah and i just trusted the process and trusted the integration process and yeah it's just so hard to explain how it changed the way that i operate but i remember my childhood best friend who's known me forever and ever and who was the one who had sent me to this facilitator she just said, "You're you just there's something different about your eyes." Mm. She said, "You've always had this sort of cloudiness or lack of clarity, and now I feel like for the first time you're really looking at me." Wow, what a what a
0: beautiful and honest reflection.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
0: was going to say when you were speaking, my everything in me when you were said, "Where's the beauty? Where's the light?" I was like, "It's you, girl. It's you." <laughs> like that to me is just I just immediately I was like. You found it. It's 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 in us. That's a beautiful story. And look, that's that is the nature of a psychedelic journey. is It is ineffable. How can you really describe? Except sometimes it is that my my first ayahuasca experience too wasn't like a one to one, uh, like tangible thing. Like yeah, I visited people, and it wasn't. It was nothing like that either. It was, it was just being held in. Just felt like like a cosmic hug and it, it really opened up my journey into spirituality. You know, I came from a spiritual family, but really, really going uh, deep within, and it, my first ayahuasca experience, too, I, by the way, sobbed after as well, just sobbed, not during it, but after, just the integration of the, what I would consider, like, just breaking down of old programming, and And awakening in many ways. In the same way, I feel like when you were saying that your eyes were clouded, like that's, I had a very similar feeling. Like, wow, there is so much more than I, uh, so much more beauty than I ever expected. So it's just beautiful to hear your story. And I just think it's important because, look, you got a psychedelic magazine. You guys are crushing it. And I wanted to know kind of personally where that started. All right. So let's get into some more of just like, let's just talk about psychedelics right now. All right. So we're both in California. Uh, as we know, Senator Scott Weiner has introduced new legislation that would make it legalized to have possession of psychedelics in California. Pretty much everything, right? First off, are are you excited? Do you think it's going to pass? What are your thoughts around this?
1: Mm, I was literally just texting my friend at Maps about this, so I want to go to my WhatsApp now and read her response before. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> to you but yeah i i honestly don't have a gauge at this point on mm-hmm. how many state legislators are going to vote in favor of this bill. got
0: it got it so, is it just Do you think um, it's just too aggressive or too ambitious
1: i don't know i don't know i you know again i'll have to get back to you and i don't know what the latest is on you know have they gone around and spoken to all the legislators and mm-hmm. seen how they would vote and where they fall on it I think that I know for a fact that regardless of whether it passes, that it's really, it's symbolically important for the movement that the bill is being introduced because California is obviously a ginormous state. Yep. Um, and if California were to legalize possession of psychedelics, it would just add fuel to this domino effect that we're already seeing across mm-hmm the country around uh, policy reform yeah i also think that this is a really important bill symbolically because it does include so many different kinds of psychedelics including synthetic psychedelics like mdma and lsd whereas Mm -hmm. so far we've mostly just seen the decriminalization of natural psychedelics yep at the local level so um yeah i don't i don't have a read right now on on how likely it is to pass but well
0: as somebody who doesn't have to have like a journalistic point of view on this i hope I definitely hope that we are heading in this direction. I'll ask you a little bit more about this, but in, in terms of just the decriminalizations and the legalizations, what do you feel that Double Blind's role is in all of this?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think that one thing we are constantly trying to navigate at Double Blind is to what extent we are activists and to what extent we're journalists. Sure. And so, you know, I think that it's fair to say that Madison and I and pretty much anyone who's paying attention to what's going on with criminal justice in this country mm-hmm. would not oppose decriminalization. Yep. Because, you know, that that to me just feels like such a low-hanging fruit that everyone can get on board with. Yeah. No one should be incarcerated for possession of a particular drug.
0: Yeah.
1: But yeah, in terms of you know, what our role is, obviously, firstly, as journalists, it's to cover what's going on. Mm -hmm. And it's our responsibility to speak to everybody within the psychedelic movement about their opinions regarding the best models for overturning psychedelic prohibition. Mm -hmm. So beyond decriminalization, of course, there's um, the impending FDA approval of MDMA and psilocybin. Then there's also the bill in Oregon, which legalized psilocybin therapy, and now Florida and Hawaii are looking to introduce similar bills. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And there is quite a lot of debate happening within the psychedelic community about, you know, how all of these things work together or if they work together. Yeah. So, I think that it's our responsibility to be open and to listen to everybody and to yep. encourage dialogue. And we've often said in the past that you know historically newsrooms and journalism outfits have been interested in kind of fueling fueling the fire. Yeah. And that our more psychedelic and we like to think evolved approach to journalism is actually to use it as a tool to bridge divides and to encourage dialogue between opposing parties, because there's a narrative that, you know, there's a narrative that some models are better than other models. And there's also a narrative that like all of these models can work together to create an ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And as much as we like to say that objectivity exists in journalism, there, there is always definitely like a thread or a narrative that like weaves together quotes of sources that is yeah. chosen by the reporter.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for elaborating on that. This is uh, a little bit more of a thought experiment. Let's imagine now a world in which uh, psychedelic legalization and or decriminalization has now is widespread here in the US. What do you think a society like that looks like, could look like, you know, what, 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 do you, what does that look like to you if there actually is accessibility for, let's say all adults, not just uh, a therapeutic use, obviously with the proper education, the proper literature. What do we look like as a society?
1: Oh, gosh. I don't know. <laughs> this is totally really, opinion-based, by the way. Yeah, no, I mean, I really don't know. I mean, I, I, I like to think that with the proper education and proper accessibility to psychedelic medicines, what I mean by that is that folks who feel safe and are safe to do mm-hmm. it at home can but also that there's ample accessible clinical settings for people who need to do psychedelics in a supportive setting. Yep, yep, yep. I like to believe that with the right public education that you know everyone who is suffering from some kind of mental or physiological condition that could be treated by a psychedelic would do a psychedelic. Yeah. And obviously if that were to happen then it would transform our entire society because as we know, psychedelics don't just heal individuals, but they also heal the relationships that individuals have with other people yeah. and to their communities and even to the planet. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things, kind of the elephant in the room and something that we don't often don't talk about within the professional psychedelic community at conferences and whatnot, because there's so much emphasis on like FDA approval and, yeah. and the clinical application of psychedelics is that Obviously, psychedelics are not like other drugs because they do inspire sort of like consciousness shifting Mm -hmm. and awakenings that have greater implications for how we interact with our environments. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, of course, we all like to dream about, you know, what would happen if, you know, everyone had access to psychedelics and everyone was doing psychedelics. Yeah. But I think that it's also obviously important to to complicate that picture and to be realistic about other things that we're up against in our society. One important one being simply that if folks who if there are still a lot of people in the country who don't have access to basic resources like housing and, you know, healthy food that, you know, you can give people like all the the psychedelics in the world and they're going to continually be re-traumatized and they're not going to have the access to properly integrate their psychedelic experiences. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about like how can the psychedelic movement potentially catalyze like sort of a larger paradigm shift in our society i mean it's it's really not as simple as like overturning psychedelic prohibition you would have to see like a radical shift in the way that many many government systems work yeah um, which i don't you know i don't obviously see happening within the next like five to ten years even because it's just we're talking about everything. We're talking yeah. about the criminal justice system. Yeah. We're talking about our mental like our the Western medical system. We're yeah. talking about everything. The systems. You know?
0: All the systems need to all be addressed. The, all the yeah. all the
1: systems. Yeah. yeah. I excellent,
0: excellent, excellent points across the board. And and look, I think I can just imagine this is in like a fair and could be in a fairy tale world at least now. Just when when a large group of people start thinking consciously, if we do f- see those paradigm shifts, a uh, level of maybe just unity versus a separate consciousness, right? This let's call it like a, just a change of heart and the way that we interact with one another, that that then becomes what we're demanding of our, of our senators and our state representatives. And that as we become more conscious as a society, we demand more conscious action. As a whole, and I know that that might take a lot longer, but you know, for me, I just think of I can just think of my own psychedelic experiences and and learning so much about myself, and really taking time to deeply reflect. And it usually, if you're if you're doing it right, to just go and see like where uh, where can I be better in in at in life? And yeah, that's that's in my fairy tale land of wow. Like if if we ever do reach that point, that yeah, that it does start affecting the bigger systems because more want a world in which we can all thrive, <clears throat> you know? And, and that that's just probably me doing a lot of psychedelics thinking like, God, there's a, there's a better way and hoping that we can get there, you know, on that larger level so that there isn't that inequity so that we can all benefit from this and not be re-traumatized like you're saying. And I have hope, but I know it might take a while.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is probably an analysis for someone like Malcolm Gladwell, but I think that another question to consider is, what is the social tipping point? Because if we're talking about like creating some kind of paradigm shift that is catalyzed by enough people waking up and deciding that they're going to change, you know, their consumer behavior, that they're going to become active members of their community, that they're going to start calling their legislators and, you know, asking them to implement more uh, woke policy you know, that not necessarily everybody, every single person in America needs to do psychedelics for that to happen. So, you know, how many people really need access to these things and need to wake up for their, for us to see a significant shift.
0: Totally. Totally. That was fun. Thank you. I just wanted to just hear it from, from somebody who's just kind of deeply in it just to hear from that perspective. So, all right. You wrote an article, an excellent article about macrodosing and microdosing. Can you just give us a little breakdown of what, what the benefits for of both of them are and any kind of potential downfalls or pitfalls between the two?
1: Yeah. The first thing I always like to say as a disclaimer is that psychedelics, um, large doses of psychedelics, so we're talking about macrodosing, have mm-hmm. obviously shown incredible potential for treating a number of mental health conditions, primarily MDMA for post-traumatic stress disorder Mm -hmm. and psilocybin for depression, but we've psilocybin being the psychoactive component in psychedelic mushrooms. But you know, we've also seen MDMA showing promise for healing relationships for there was a small study that came out recently looking at it for alcoholism and substance Mm -hmm. use disorder. And then in terms of psilocybin, we've seen studies looking at nicotine addiction, cocaine addiction, uh, eating disorders, just so 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 many studies have come out. But there's still a lot more research that needs to be done. And just like we have in cannabis, there's this wide gap between the, all the anecdotal evidence we have people coming out and saying like, I did psychedelics for such and such, you know, condition and it changed my life. And the actual rigorous kind of double blind randomized clinical trials we have sort of confirming the efficacy and safety of these things. Yeah. So that's just macro dosing, micro mm-hmm. dosing basically no research looking at microdosing right now at all, which is crazy because (laughs) microdosing has become such like a hot topic that everyone is discussing right now. And again, like tons and tons of people coming out and saying microdosing has changed my life. And we have no research actually looking at whether this is effective and who it's effective for and there's a lot of questions too in the realm of microdosing around you know how long do you need to microdose for what's the proper protocol yeah. like Jim Fadiman says one day on, two days off. Paul Stammet says five days on, two days off. Mm -hmm. Then you have people just inventing their own protocols saying like, I did it every day for a month and then I took a month off. Or I mean, people are doing all kinds of things. People are combining microdosing and macrodosing too. Some people are tripping and then they're using microdosing as a tool to integrate their bigger psychedelic experiences. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. in terms of risks to microdosing, macrodosing, Again, more research needs to be done, but generally speaking, if you try to enroll in a clinical trial or a psychedelic clinical trial, or you try to go to a vetted psychedelic retreat center, like Synthesis in the Netherlands or the Temple of the Way of Light in Mm -hmm. the Amazon, they will not let you go if you are on an SSRI, if you have a history of bipolar, if you have a personal or family history of psychosis, Mm -hmm. if you have a history of schizophrenia. So those are some of the main things that people will say... Know that psychedelics probably aren't a good fit for you. And it's not a hard no, but I would highly recommend that anyone who's interested in doing a psychedelic, if they have any of these conditions, seek support from a professional like a psychedelic integration therapist that's on MAPS's database. Mm. Also, if you have any kind of severe mental health condition that psychedelics have even shown promise for, you should still seek, try to do psychedelics in a supportive setting. So that would include anyone with trauma, severe depression, severe anxiety end-of-life distress, et cetera. Mm. That being said, psychedelics in large and small doses do appear to be relatively safe for the majority of people who are, quote, healthy normals. What's a healthy normal? I have a problem with this term because it it pathology like it it creates like it pathologizes anyone who's quote not normal and it also makes people who feel who who are normal but don't feel like they're living their best lives there's something wrong with them or you know it puts people into this weird purgatory if they like don't have a diagnosis right. but they also are suffering in some yeah. way yeah. psychologically or spiritually or whatever mm-hmm. so but yeah I guess that in terms of the microdose versus macrodose, I mean, at least from the anecdotal data, it appears as though microdosing is more symptomatic. So Mm -hmm. it's going to treat whatever you're going through. It it could potentially help with whatever you're going through on a day-to-day basis, whether it's like Um, depression or lack of focus or something else. But as soon as you stop microdosing, it's probable that your symptoms are gonna come back. Yep. Whereas with macrodosing, what we've seen, although we need more data looking at like the long-term effects of macrodosing, mm-hmm. is that typically someone has a really profound experience one or two or three times, and then they are healed completely from yeah. their condition for at least a year yeah. or two. It's giant. Um,
0: yeah. It's just a completely different model because the the microdose model then sound it's it's just more aligned with like a pharmaceutical model, right? Like you take it every day and and then if you're off, then you're off and this is a really nice transition actually to talking about, I know there's a lot of psychedelic companies right now that are making a psychedelic that either doesn't have uh, a psychoactive component to it, or like MindMan is doing with this kind of LSD neutralizer, which is essentially a, a kill switch. Let's start with the one without the tripping. Knowing that what you just said, right? There's data coming probably from a profound emotional place, right? That you're kind of tackling. What are your thoughts on a, on a non-trip psychedelic?
1: Well, it's really hard to say, because we don't have the data. Mm -hmm. Um, So for a little bit of context for your audience, I mean, there's more than a dozen psychedelic drug development companies at this point, I want to say probably two or three dozen, but I can't put an exact number on it that are trying to basically change the psychedelic experience to optimize it optimize it for <laughs> yeah. the patient. And I put optimize in quotes because we don't know if it's actually these changes are going to optimize the experience or not. Yeah. Um, but there's ev- everything from, like you mentioned, a psychedelic that doesn't make you trip which then is it even a psychedelic right? to like a shorter acting LSD, like an LSD that might last like three or four hours instead of 10 hours mm-hmm. or an MDMA that's milder that you can take at home or an ayahuasca transdermal patch that it's the exact same experience as ayahuasca, but it doesn't make you purge. Mm-hmm. So every type of thing you can imagine is currently being developed in what we call preclinical research, meaning yeah. that it hasn't been put into humans or been approved by the FDA to get administered to humans yet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously there are a lot of people in the psychedelic community who are skeptical that uh, this stuff is going to work. And, you know, I don't blame people for feeling that way. Firstly, there's the whole ethical debate around, you know, whether it's, even whether it's sacrilegious to be tinkering with these compounds given the fact that you know many of them have been used ceremonially yeah. for decades if they were synthesized in the 20th century in mm-hmm. the quote west or even millennia if they're an indigenous plant medicine that comes from say like the amazon or west africa or something like that yeah so so, and you know, if if you have had a really profound psychedelic experience, you probably did have visions and other psychoactive experiences that felt like they were really, you know, inextricably tied with the healing that you received when you came out the other end. Yeah. But I would I would challenge people to to ask themselves whether it's possible that the healing quality of the psych- that, that the healing quality of the psychoactive component was an illusion and if potentially something really did just change in their brain that could happen without the psychoactive component mm-hmm. it's, it's it's really hard for me to believe and for other people to believe because you know we've even identified something you know what we call the noetic quality of the mystical experience which is when you have a mystical experience whether it's occasioned by a psychedelic or not one of the things that makes it a mystical experience is that it feels really and absolutely and universally true yeah and no one can really tell you that it's not true yeah
0: yeah i've had them so yes i know i know (laughs) it yep it, I'm, I love that you bring this up. And look, as somebody who I'll be interested in, in seeing it, because I can imagine like, okay, so let's say that you are able to do a non-psychoactive uh, psychedelic. It's doing all the same things, right? We got a snow day in the brain. You can make new pathways. But uh, what's to stop you from getting right emotionally charged from the same trigger? right or falling back into the same patterns if there's no i don't want to call it a jolt to the system but i guess for me and and i'm going to kind of echo what you were saying i those two are so tied to me because it's yes i do think there is something happening in my brain actually like um that can be measured but the biggest, I guess, takeaways for me were on an emotional level, were things that I needed to, and sometimes uncomfortable truths, let's call it, that I needed to see so that I knew how to implement and make different choices in my life. I needed to understand what's coming up, whether that's whether that's the beauty and feeling the oneness and feeling more connection than to others, so the beauty of it, or, you know, things that I... Uh, more difficult times where I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't really like what was coming up, but like I think I had to see it. I think I had to see it so that in my normal waking state, I knew how to apply it. And so it's, I'm curious because to me, I'm like they're so tied, but who knows? It, it will be interesting to see how that goes. What do you think of like a kill switch for LSD? Like knowing that there's an out, let's call it for patients.
1: Yeah. It's so hard because again, you know, I have, I have my two hats on. Yep. I have my hat as like a person who has experienced psychedelics and who believes a lot in their healing potential. And then I have my hat on as a journalist, which is like, what, where's the data? Mm -hmm. So You know, my bias is to say that's a really terrible idea because, you know, one of the fundamental principles of psychedelic journeying is that there is no bad trip. And this is an illusion that there's such a thing as a bad trip because. Mm -hmm really what the psychedelic is doing and this is the you know the etymology of the term psychedelic is it's manifesting what is already in your mind Mm -hmm. and it's giving you an opportunity to look at those things and to process them yes so if something is coming forth that's like uncomfortable or in some way you know bill richards talks about this the longtime psilocybin researcher you're not supposed to push it away. You're supposed to actually move towards it because yeah. the only way to process it is to move through it rather than trying to go around it.
0: Yeah. And and it's really not going to let you, it's not going to let you off the hook if you try to uh, ditch it. It's going right. to force you to sit with it until you want to be like, all right, what do we have to learn here?
1: <laughs> exactly. So I would say that, you know, that, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. But again, let's just see the data.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I mean, so playing the devil's advocate with myself here for a minute, which is something I have to do all the time in my reporting. Yeah, I have had experiences on ayahuasca where other psychedelics as well, but especially ayahuasca where. I knew that I was supposed to be surrendering, but I was just not going to fucking, I was not going to, surre- I was not going to freaking surrender like yeah. that day, that moment I went in thinking I was ready and my ego would just not let it go. Oh man. I spent the whole <laughs> evening in just ego purgatory. Yeah. And so, you know, just playing the devil's advocate with myself here for a minute, you know, in a situation like that, would it be helpful to have an off switch? And then for the facilitator or the therapist or whoever, once the experience is ended, to sit down with the person and say, okay, we talked about what might happen. It started happening. You were not surrendering. Mm-hmm. So we gave you the off switch. And you know why don't you go home, meditate, journal, and come back next week when you're really ready to do that? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's a good point. I, you know, I've I've had one experience where uh, it was t- I was 16 when I did it. I did it all wrong. If there if only there was a double blind where I can go and check out and see like what set and setting should be. Anyway, but I I think about that too. About what like would I have or wouldn't I have the adult in me now likes a challenge, I think, and wants to be like, this is the learning lesson. This is, this is it. Like, okay. Like, and you know, my ego is not surrendering and uh, I've got something to learn here, especially if you already in that place of understanding the just magnificence of what they can do if done correctly. And, and you've already experienced that, but to your point, it's, it's interesting. So my initial response, just being somebody who loves like really tripping too and like really like going all in. And then I'm like, that's part of the journey, right? I was with a friend of mine in Joshua Tree. We were taking acid together and it was one of his, it was his second time, I think. And he ended up having a little bit of a mm, tougher time, a little overwhelming. I finally said to him, I said, look, if you want to take a little bit of ecstasy or molly, I was like, I know this sounds a little counterintuitive, but I found that it grounds me. It grounds me kind of back into my body. So you're welcome to have a little bit of that. And what he said was, he's like, so basically um, I have an out. And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, now that I know I have it, I don't think I want it. Mm. And I thought, ooh, interesting. I, what an interesting psychological thing. Like, oh, yeah, like now that I know, I can technically get it. and And he did it. He's like, no, you know what? I actually want to stay with this. I mean, of course, there's going to be people that probably want to uh, abort mission, but uh, it was cool to see somebody understanding like, oh, okay, um, maybe I'll stick with it then. And just the knowing, mm. just knowing that it wasn't, he wasn't trapped was all he needed to hear.
1: Right. Yeah. That did occur to me as well, actually, is that it would be interesting to, to test, to test the efficacy of an LSD trial in a group of people who know they have the option of the off switch and a group of people who don't know they have the option because i think there is something really psychologically valuable about just feeling that you have a choice yeah and feeling that you have chosen to be somewhere because i i sit with this really amazing combo practitioner in san diego Mm -hmm. and he always reminds everyone before we begin the ceremony to not sink into that victim narrative and mm-hmm. to not forget that they have chosen to be there because yeah. it's really easy, you know, when you start feeling sorry for yourself mm-hmm. in ceremony or in a psychedelic experience to to not look at what's coming up for you yeah. and to get stuck into this thought loop of like, woe is me, this terrible thing is happening versus Oh, no, I remember now I chose to be here. Yeah. Like, bring it on. basically. Yeah.
0: yeah. Let's make it weirder. If you just lean in, it's amazing. This is to me where, at least for my psychedelic journeys, is the more I lean into the unknown before when I just lean into it and just kind of like go face first, if you will. And really, especially if things get a little just, you know, abstract, let's just say I've noticed that I, I, I use that then, though, in my life. And then I am better at embracing the unknown and just being like, okay, it's like an interesting prep in my life to just, yeah, like I'm, I, it's a, it's a tool that I'm learning how to surrender in my life, period. Right. I'm just, I'm just learning how to sit with uncomfortable feelings instead of pushing them away. Like just the value of that. And he, that's such a great point that he brought up is Yeah. I remember in ayahuasca when I was getting sick, it was not fun. But at the end of the day, I was like, yeah, I knew, I knew that this was coming. Same thing with combo, right? Like I, and you don't even have the, what is it? The cerebral effects of it. It's just a pure body cleanse. That's, uh, you're tough. I was just talking to somebody about this, but is there anything for you? You know, I know you, you guys cover the gamut of, from the legislation to the ceremony aspect. What lights you up? Particularly, like, is there a particular area where you're just,
1: Hmm, I don't think so. I don't think so. I really am interested in it all. Cool. I mean, at this particular moment, I'm excited by all of the movement around the policy. Yeah, that feels really, you know, because it just feels like so much is happening so fast.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah
1: and i also just you know i come from a breaking news background so i kind of love i'm like i'm like it passed it passed it website. like it's just kind of just kind of fun yeah and you know of course it is a really important time too to be having conversations around equity and access um and sacred reciprocity and making sure that the psychedelic industry unfolds in a way that doesn't create barriers to access yeah. for healing yeah so you know, this is an ongoing conversation, Mm -hmm. but I would say that, yeah, it's it's a, it's a very timely one.
0: Yeah. It sounds like you're in the right business then. If you love it all, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. It looks like you're uh, sitting in ceremony was, was the answer. So what's next? What's next for double blind? Are there any, where's your vision for it? Is there any uh, big collaborations you can talk about that you're excited about?
1: Well, we're already doing so much, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we have our journalism, which is our our online journalism. We publish stories every week on our website that yep. are original and reported. And then we also have our print magazine, which comes out twice a year. So, yep. this is kind of our baby, and um, we're in the process right now of of putting together the fifth issue, which we are super excited about and we have some really really amazing artists and poets and writers in this one that we're talking to and it's not all confirmed so I can't mm-hmm. announce but some really iconic amazing writers that we can't even believe want to work with us so it's amazing and then yeah in terms of like the education side of things we have a couple webinars every month with like the leading experts in the psychedelic field. And so mm-hmm. we have, we just announced one today that's coming up in two weeks with Dr. Ingmar Gorman on how to become a psychedelic Very cool. therapist. Very cool. And then we have one on ancestral trauma and healing family relationships mm-hmm. with Lauren Tauss. So coming up in, in May, I think. So we just have a steady stream of that. And then We have our courses too. So, you know, we've now taught, I think like more than 5,000 people how to grow mushrooms at home, which is crazy. Love it. And we've just are launching our second mushroom growing course on March 2nd Mm -hmm. with a bunch of mycologists. We now have like seven mycologists on the double blind team or something like that. And so we're super excited about that. Yeah, there's just so much in terms of where we're going to go, you know, The world is our psychedelic oyster. Yeah. (laughs) We just want to do things that feel aligned and we want to work with good people and hopefully create a sustainable business along the way that will simply pay for us to live our very modest lives. Yeah. That's the dream. And so a podcast, absolutely TV shows and docu-series and documentaries. Definitely. A lot of people want us to do psychedelic merch because they love our design. Signs. Yeah. So physical, pr- we've looked into that a little bit. We've been contacted by some amazing um, clothing brands that Mm -hmm. want to collaborate with us, but you know, physical products are just kind of a nightmare with like the shipping and the warehousing and the tracking and the customer service. So yeah, I want to do all that. We want to do more physical products, but I think that's, you know, we're punting that down the line a little bit yeah, just because of the logistics of it, but yeah, I mean, all kinds of things. So we'll see. What an
0: exciting time. I truly just for what like high times was to the cannabis, I really see this for double blind and it just, must feel so good to come out of a meditation and just have have the vision and execute it in a way that's so appropriate and I'm just thrilled and I'm thrilled for you guys. I thank you so much for being here today. Where can people find double blind on the internet, on socials?
1: Yeah, um so doubleblindmag.com you can subscribe to the magazine, sign up for our courses, see our upcoming webinars. And we're at Double Blind Mag on all social media platforms. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and now TikTok. Excellent. <laughs> a bunch <laughs> of people told us we needed a TikTok and I brought it up in, in our editorial meeting and everyone's like, I don't know how to run TikTok. Do you have a TikTok? We need to hire an intern. It's <laughs> a whole, it's a whole our new TikTok. thing. But if anyone on here listening is a TikTok expert and you want to run Double Blinds TikTok, you just go ahead and reach out to us on Instagram.
0: Plug, guys. (laughs) Plug out there. (laughs) Uh, Shelby, thank you. This was such an informative and interesting conversation. I really appreciate your time today.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you. As always, everyone, trip on this.